from the Times of North Indiana and nwi.com slash podcasts, you're listening to Byline, the podcast about the newspaper's most fascinating stories and the reporters who tell them. I'm Kale Wilk, and this week Byline continues its examination of population loss and gain to Northwest Indiana. We'll talk with a college instructor helping train young entrepreneurs. It makes sense to try and keep things in Indiana right now because you have a low tax rate, you have you know, uh, a solid workforce, you have a, a vast amount of like commercial space, industrial space to choose from, I mean. And we'll talk with a couple who sought their ideal living situation. Having a, a home that, you know, we can call our own, that we can invest in as far as putting our blood, sweat, and tears into doing all the little things around here to make it our own. I'll begin this week's episode with a little review. Last time, Byline dove into an issue that's concerning local political and business leaders. The fact that the region has been losing parts of its population for a while now. And signs seem to point to the area's aging position in the Rust Belt, a nickname given to pockets across the U.S. from the Appalachian Mountains to the Great Plains, where the strength of industry and manufacturing is fading, resulting in economic decline and population loss. But aside from the resulting dismal job growth in the area, the region may not have the amenities millennials are looking for, causing them to seek out and blaze their own trails elsewhere. A lot of them are turning to urban environments, including the one right next to us, Chicago. This inability to retain young professionals thus doesn't foster a chance for their talents to contribute to Northwest Indiana, or for them to start families and help grow the population. Now, that may make it sound like we're on a slow and steady path to nothingness. But what if I were to tell you that even though there's people leaving or not returning to the region, there's still people coming here to settle? So, we'll start off with two of those people. Right now, I'm on Forest Avenue in Hammond. I've agreed to meet with some homeowners. How you doing? Come in, Chris. Very nice to meet you, yeah, sir. I came here to see Chris and Megan Jones. I was very intrigued to come and see them because their backstory, and more or less the backstory of this particular house, is quite interesting. Well, we lived uh, just north of Wrigley Field and um, had had, you know, we were in a great size condo. It was lots of space. We had our son, Jackson, and about, I don't know, Chris is originally from Hammond, and Megan is from Madison, Wisconsin. They both moved to Chicago in the early 90s, a little after they had both graduated from college. They started dating in 2001 and lived in Chicago's uptown neighborhood. However, after they were married and had their first child, something told them it was probably in their best interest to get out. But we sat in our condo one day and saw the recession coming and decided this condo isn't where we're going to live for the rest of our life. And I was pregnant with our daughter. Mm-hmm. And so we, we just put it on the market and... For sale by owner. For sale by owner and sold, which nothing, like kind of everything froze. That was 2008? Yeah. When the, it was just big, the, yeah. it was bad. They started seeking out suburban locations. They had looked at some places in Illinois, but also wandered into Northwest Indiana 
primarily we wanted a neighborhood sort of like where we ended up with you know more unique older homes trees. big trees grass um and some space and not just sort of subdivision cookie cutters mm-hmm. so we were looking in historic neighborhoods and we just started kept looking around and had, had a baby and one day we had been across the street um the people live across the street is one of chris's best friends from growing up it was actually in our wedding Mm-hmm. We were there for his son's christening party, and he's like, "Hey, your old house is for sale," and we looked at it, and and your exact words are, "I'm not moving to Indiana, and I'm not moving to Hammond." Yeah. <laughs> and I said, "All right." See, the thing about that particular house is, it was the one Chris had grown up in. It had been over thirty years since he'd stepped inside. Chris's Megan was reluctant about looking at it. I kept bringing this up, and she said, "Look, I'll go and look at the house." But once we look at it, you can't bring it up again. You, you promise we'll just get off the subject. And I said, fine. So her and I, we called the realtor, didn't tell him anything. And when um, we came and looked at it, we didn't tell the realtor anything. We, we also didn't know if we liked, you know, whatever. We just told him, hey, we like to go look at this house. And so we went and looked at this house. And um, she was like, wow, you get a lot for a your nice money. You get a lot for your it's, money. And it's really nice. And, you know, it's everything we wanted, character, uh, trees our friend lives across the street and growing up here it's nice because you 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 know we do run into friends at store you know you run into people and things like that and it's almost on a half acre it has a pool you know it's it's for it's, roughly the same price as our condo Chicago. With, and the taxes were cheaper and the check yeah so they bought it and they've been happy with the house ever since especially in regards to how much lower their tax payments are compared to their friends in Illinois. It's pretty amazing. And so we've now, now that we're looking further and we're, you know, we're older, we're, we're, we had our children older, so I'm going to be 49 this year. Um, we're looking like, why wouldn't we stay here and have them pay our, I mean, it's either college or something. For a lot of people, it's college or retirement. And I'm amazed. People who live in Illinois, we have a lot of friends that still live in Illinois, are living, you know, they're getting these crazy tax bills and they're, they're working for their house and I said, what do you have in retirement? And they just kind of look at you like, oh, well, we're, you know, and their kids aren't even in college yet. And I'm like, you have so many bills ahead of you. Mm-hmm. Why wouldn't you take advantage, you know, of things when it's offered? So that's one of that's it is one of the it's, and that was a big reason for us. You know, when you're having little kids at one, two years, you don't think about college. Mm-hmm. But now, <laughs> I mean, our kids are seven and nine and, and we're all of a sudden we're like college. Oh, that's not that far away. <laughs> In the case of Megan and Chris, yes, this chain of events is a storybook type of tale. But that detail about wanting to pay less in taxes is something of importance here. For quite a long time, and we're talking for decades, Chicago and the surrounding suburbs have been a relatively expensive place to live. And that's just a simple real estate fact. A fashionable and popular place to live, like the third largest city in the U.S., filled with trendy food and drink establishments, historic museum and art collections and performances, state-of-the-art healthcare facilities, and a waterfront location to boot, is probably going to have a high cost to live there. And if one can't find an agreeable place to be in the city, they'll probably then want to try and live nearby in the suburbs, which will also be subject to a higher cost of living. According to the Tax Foundation, the land of Lincoln ranks second in the country for the highest property tax rates only behind New Jersey. And it's not just property taxes, but sales taxes too. A popular example comes with buying gas. Because of higher taxes in Illinois versus Indiana, 
there's many Illinois residents, at least around here, that opt to drive to a station nearby the state line to get gas. You can drive around in Hammond, Munster, or Dyer, and sure enough, many of those vehicles at those stations have Illinois license plates. So if there's a big tax burden and someone wants to stay relatively close to Chicago, what's one to do? The answer may be found just over that state line. As noted last week, Joseph Pete's been the one tracking population shifts in Northwest Indiana, and Chicagoland for that matter, and how it relates to economic growth and decline in the area. So, as said last time, there's people leaving Northwest Indiana, but there's also people coming. We are seeing a huge influx of Illinois residents, particularly from the south suburbs to the South Lake County. That's been a huge and ongoing thing for years. You can drive up and down Indianapolis Boulevard and Cherryville on a weekend. You'll see as many Illinois plates, if not more, than you see in Indiana. You think you were, you think you were in the land of Lincoln. The Illinois Policy Institute in Chicago says that, based on data from 2015, over 34,000 people left the Prairie State to come to the Hoosier State. And they estimate about 54 people left Illinois to come to Indiana daily. But did all of them come to northwest Indiana? No. However, a lot of them did. There's a neat data map tool from the U.S. Census Bureau that shows migration numbers between counties in the U.S. based on the American Community Survey the organization does every so often. And based on the most recent data from 2014, there were almost 50,000 people that moved out of Cook County to the adjacent Illinois locations of Lake, Kane, DuPage, and Will Counties. But there were almost 9,000 that came to Indiana's Lake County, a little over 700 to Porter County, and almost 600 to LaPorte County. But recall, though, that based on that same data, Indiana's Lake County lost over 10,000 residents. So the shift from Illinois hasn't been quite enough to offset the loss. And the flip side is important here, too. Of those that left, over 4,000 went to Cook County in Illinois, almost 3,500 went to Porter County, and a little over 1,000 went to LaPorte County. So the shift gets a little more weird but it can be explained. Porter County, though, there's been an ongoing population shift in uh, northwest Indiana. At one point, like, Gary was the second largest city in the state. You know, all your, all your population was along the lakeshore in Lake County. That was the way it was. That's where the factories was, where people, you know, in the early days, people would work, walk to work. My great-grandfather walked to work at a Gary Works in the steel mill. And then over time, you know, there's been a push. You don't want to, you know, you don't want to have that, breathe in that refinery air. You want your kids to be able to breathe in cleaner air. People set out for greener pastures. There's been an ongoing trend um, towards suburbanization in the United States since Eisenhower developed the interstate system in the 50s. It's been, it's not isolated to this area. It's been a national phenomenon. It's also why even in Lake County, the same has been happening especially in the Tritown area of Dyer, Cherville, and St. John, where over 14,000 have moved to or been born in since 2000. The nearby Crown Point community added over 9,000 people in that same time frame. The old housing style apparent in Chicago's neighborhoods, Whiting, Hammond, East Chicago, and Gary, of homes scrunched together with tiny yards isn't as desirable anymore. You can buy, there's tons of new housing stock. They're not landlocked the way like Hammond or East Chicago is, they have they can build they can turn cornfields into new subdivisions and people generally prefer newer housing uh, not always but you know is if you're going to live in the suburbs people kind of gravitate toward toward newer housing so they've been seeing a huge boom in the population so what i wanted to do was talk with someone that's in the heart of the growth in porter county 
And that person's actually been working with it for quite a long time. While we've not developed in downtown Valpo before, we're about to do that. We're about to initiate a 48-unit um, condominium project right in downtown Valpo. Uh, but over and over and over again, people who came to Valpo to live came here partially because they thought downtown Valpo was just a neat place. And the near north side of Valpo, um, what sometimes you might refer to as uptown Valpo, um, is perceived as a wonderful place to live. Um, there are something like 33 eating opportunities in downtown Valparaiso from, from the delis to the coffee houses to the upscale restaurants and everything in between. This is Bob Kuhlman, the president and CEO of Kuhlman Communities. He's a Valparaiso native, a community that's added a little over 5,000 people since 2000. He earned a civil engineering degree from Purdue University and inherited the Kuhlman community's business from his parents. The organization works on developing properties and housing to meet the trends and desires of those looking for their ideal living arrangement. He agrees he's seen growth happening in Porter County, but he hasn't seen many Illinois people necessarily come on over, which is reflected in the data mentioned before. Just a little over 700 came to Porter County. People have for years said, well, we, we, you know, we, we get all these people from Chicago moving to Valpo. Well, that's simply not true. We've never seen that. When you look at the statistics, and we do a lot of demographic research. But for years, what we have seen is a double shift. People who are living south of Chicago in Illinois and are chafing under the property taxes there end up moving across the state line into the border towns um, uh, it started out in Dyer and then moved south and into St. John and has now moved on south into Lowell. And it used to be that that was people in Highland and Griffith that were moving. Then they would sell their houses there and move to Valpo. We still see some of that um, in those border towns when people sell their houses moving from Illinois and they come over here. It's not as significant as it used to be. Uh, statistically, we can't identify that's a big part of our market, but it still goes on here in, in Porter County. Also, even though there's growth in Porter County, he says housing demand is actually a little down. Kind of weird, right? Well, when he says that, he means historically. It's healthy, but not the same as a few decades ago when Porter County, too, was the recipient of some of industry's economic benefits. Porter County... Uh, during the uh, in the late 60s, early 70s, uh, when Midwest Steel and Bethlehem Steel were coming to Porter County at that point, uh, there was a demand for about 2,000 single-family homes a year. I told my employees back in 2011, 2012, I thought that if we saw the market king come back to about 500 single-family homes a year in Porter County, that was probably going to represent a new norm, a new level of what we might characterize as a healthy housing market. In the last couple of years, uh, the total number of single-family building permits that were issued in Porter County approached 500. So I think that's about what the demand actually looks like currently. So if you look at that trend, it's been a steadily declining trend over the course of the last 40-plus years. Um, I don't see anything on the horizon that truly changes that. The subject of the housing market is something Byline has taken a look at before in the second episode we ever did. And what we found at that time 
less than a year ago, was that millennials aren't trying to buy homes because they can't afford them. Many are weighed down by student loan debt and therefore look for arrangements that are smaller and require less maintenance, like an apartment or condominium. We're, we're, we're working on a project now that is kind of, we, we hope, kind of cool and edgy and, and, and maybe puts a product into the marketplace that that millennial young family might get excited about, might be a really cool place to live, might be this sort of thing that it's on the periphery of, of Valparaiso. Um, and we would like to be able to start at, 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 at under 200. We can't get there. Um, so if, if we're... 230, 240, 250, it wouldn't surprise me that that's where we're going to be as a starting point. And that's simply limiting in the marketplace uh, in northwest Indiana. There, you know, even that uh, pushes the envelope for a lot of young families in terms of what, they're, what they can afford to buy. So millennials may gravitate toward more apartment-style living based on what they can afford. There's some of that in northwest Indiana, but it's something certainly more apparent in a much more urban location, like Chicago. But even so, if there's been money saved up, and there's someone that decides they want to start a family, then what? We met in 2010, January. Yep. Um, This is Dolly and Joe Wagner. They met in 2010, after Dolly had gone to visit friends at Illinois State University. At that time, Dolly was living in Chicago's Bridgeport neighborhood, where she's originally from. After the two started dating, Joe, who earned his degree and became a transactional attorney, moved in with Dolly in Chicago. Eventually, they married and wanted to own a home and start a family. They moved to Munster a little over a year ago. They also now have a daughter named Penelope, who is less than a year old. With plenty of suburban options all around Chicago, I asked why they chose Munster. The answer was just as I expected. Well, originally we were looking in Homewood and Indiana, and there were a lot of homes in Illinois that were nice, but taxes were outrageous. You know, the home could be a great price, maybe. I think we were trying to budget to stay under like 160 or something, and you know, that was fine, but then you tack on 5000 to $15,000 in taxes every year. That just, it wasn't realistic. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, so on average, I mean, based on the houses that we were looking at, uh, property taxes range between 4000 and 5500 on average. Um, you know, the places that we've looked at around here ranged from, I mean, on the very low end, I mean, this is deeper in Indiana where we obviously didn't end up, was maybe $800 uh, to about 2500 a year, which when, it, when you break that out into monthly installments, I mean makes a significant difference, you know. Dolly is a stay-at-home mom, and Joe still works in Chicago, commuting via the South Shore line from Hammond. In regards to quality of life preferences among millennials, they match some of the points. They're in an area that has some trendy shops and amenities, and they have nearby access to public transportation for work or leisure. But what Munster offers was fitting the bill for them in other ways, too. For us, we just wanted to be comfortable. Um, And so... Being comfortable would be um, just being content with, you know, what the situation is. So, you know, knowing that Penelope will have great school, great public schools to go to, you know, that that's a piece of the pie. Mm -hmm. Um, Having a a home that, you know, we can call our own, that we can 
invest in as far as putting our blood, sweat, and tears into doing all the little things around here to make it our own. So I feel like we were just naturally in the state of mind where our next step is going to be to have a baby and what we would want our baby to grow up in and maybe the for me it would be to kind of reproduce my childhood and have something similar to what I had growing up. I had a great elementary school, we moved to Lansing, then we had our house and bike paths and family parties. It's just, I guess it's stuff like that that I start thinking of for her. And then I think of um, more space, a backyard. But they do admit, the life in Chicago is something they miss. I grew up in Chicago, so I, I knew what was there for me and it was exciting and, you know, living in Lansing for so many years and then going back, it was just fun to have, you know, things open later and being able to go out with my friends and have that freedom um, and really just experience as much as I could in the time that I was able to just, it be just me, you know. Um, so I think for me, it was more of just trying to have fun and be independent, really. Be in Chicago for a period of time, just to experience it, um, you know, and just make the most out of everything that it has to offer. And then I think Bridgeport was ended up just being the best neighborhood. I mean, we still love Bridgeport very much, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, and who, who's to say what will happen down the road? We fit in with Bridgeport uh, the best out of any of the neighborhoods. And we just made the most of it. And... So does this mean that lower taxes are the region's saving grace? Is that the only way we can attract people? As mentioned in the last episode, industry and manufacturing has been the historic backbone of the region, and the employment situations at the steel mills and refineries hasn't been the same. So is there effort and investment to address this or spur job growth elsewhere? There is. One of those people helping foster that is this person. Mon Hanley, uh, Associate Director, Commercialization Manufacturing Excellence Center. Mont Hanley works at Purdue University Northwest in Hammond. It's one of the school's facilities that, in its own words, serves as a catalyst for economic development and technological transfer throughout Northwest Indiana. The Commercialization Manufacturing Excellence Center really exists to help uh, not only students and faculty of Purdue University Northwest, but also region residents as well who have innovations. And I truly believe there are so many people who work in various industries in Northwest Indiana who actually have the same creative instinct a lot of people we've actually dealt with here already or met with and tried to help are from local industry who've had better ideas. We've got a guy who drove a bread truck who came up with a stacker tote idea um, that actually saves space on the back of a truck. If they are in the ideation stage, we can help them develop the prototype. What we actually have here at CMEC is um, we have lab space where we can actually build scale model manufacturing for people. Mott is certainly aware of trends where manufacturing and industry isn't as strong in the U.S. The companies ship jobs away for lower labor costs, or that automation is taking away jobs. But he has something to counter that. Manufacturing is a major part of Indiana business. Um, there was a story just yesterday that it, we are the number one state in the country for manufacturing. 
a third of our GDP is based on manufacturing. And that's for the entire state. If you just factored in Northwest Indiana, I'm sure it's even more of our GDP than it is for the rest of the state. And if you factor in south suburbs and, you know, immediately adjacent in our south suburbs of uh, Chicago, you'll probably see that our concentration of manufacturing is phenomenal. It's probably 40% of the GDP of this region. So we might never become the Silicon Valley of the Midwest, you know, with high-tech stuff. But we could very easily become the Silicon Valley of manufacturing and automated manufacturing. And the thing that you hear most like is like, you know, automated manufacturing is going to like eliminate jobs. There's people who still need to like repair those, that equipment. And that's the other side of what CMEC does is we actually train people to install, train, and troubleshoot on this equipment. And the other part of this is we're going to grow the manufacturing sector in this country because it's going to become cheaper at some point. I think the tipping point is either it's going to be very soon Instead of shipping a factory overseas for low labor costs, we're going to bring it back to the United States, install automated equipment with a handful of, of, of laborers who are going to be able to troubleshoot this equipment, who are going to be able to maintain this equipment, and it's going to be cheaper for us to produce here in the United States. If their markets are here and they don't have the shipping costs any longer, they're going to make more profit if they manufacture here. And I do believe that's going to happen. In the training and coursework offered, the students involved at the Commercialization and Manufacturing Excellence Center are also developing an entrepreneurial perspective. And that's something Mont has, too. Prior to the position he has, he served in the Army, earned a history degree from Purdue University, and then went on to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, where he developed a product called Pit Moss, a play on words of Pittsburgh and peat moss. It's a more environmentally friendly substance to be used in gardens than what other companies do to harvest peat moss. The company is still running, and he serves on the board of directors. He's even been featured on the TV show Shark Tank. But here's the interesting thing. Pittsburgh is another of those locations, like we've mentioned before, that is a part of the Rust Belt. So a thing Mott notes is that a location like that doesn't have to be written off as a dying place. Rather, it's a location that is ready for a rebirth. It makes sense to try and keep things in Indiana right now because you have a low tax rate, you have you know, uh, a solid workforce, you have a, a vast amount of like commercial space, industrial space to choose from. I mean, when I was built, looking for a space in the Pittsburgh area, the same time that I was trying to find space for a manufacturing facility, and I, I'd lived there since 2005, and when I got there in 2005, I could have my pick of any industrial space in the city for cheap. Uh, but by the time I put the business together and actually started to like look for space to rent, they had gone through this um, uh, fracking boom, and all these companies from Oklahoma and Texas had come in and just really rented up everything that was a, a, appealing to me. And so I ended up about 20 miles outside the city in a town called Ambridge, um, which was actually the hometown of the American Bridge Company, which was a famous old company here in northwest Indiana as well. You know, that's a key thing when you're, like, talking about manufacturing. You're, you're trying to limit your costs as much as possible. So we have an abundant space right now in northwest Indiana for that kind of thing. But part of it, too, is how the community will take care of itself. How will it position itself and how it's perceived? 
a lot of the problems with Pittsburgh were based on reputation, not in reality. And I feel a lot of the issues we have in Northwest Indiana are based on perception, not in reality. And I, I actually said this on, on another occasion. I was like, you look around the city of Chicago, look at all the areas around Chicago and how they've built up. We're like the last lot in a great neighborhood that you know we can build on. So. We need to start getting some smart people together and start figuring out what it is that's going to attract people here. Is it going to be, you know, something, you know, some new housing development that's like, you know, low sustainability and things like that? What is it going to be? I mean, we have a, a lot of great areas that can be redeveloped. Throughout these two episodes, we've examined both ends of the situation here. So as a final segment here, what about someone that's in the middle ground? Hello. This is Lexi Heineman, a college friend during my time at Indiana University. In the past episode, I spoke with other college or young colleagues that were finding their way in their professional careers as well. Lexi just graduated a little over a week ago with a degree in media and a minor in media law and ethics. She's in the middle of the job search, so like other young millennials, she wants to be in an urban environment, and she noted that Chicago is her top choice of a place to go. But she's also from Valparaiso, which, as we've been describing, is in booming Porter County, a vibrant bedroom community that also offers access to the city. She wants to work for a bit to gain some experience, and also save up money to eventually go to law school. You know, it's been really interesting, actually. I just got a phone call today about a job I had applied to on a whim for in New York City, which it's like, well, how would I even afford to live there or move there in the first place? Considering, you know, I think a lot of college grads and perhaps even yourself face a certain amount of uncertainty as soon as you get the degree. You move your tassel and then if you don't have anything lined up, you're just like, well, what do I do now? I was curious what Lexi thought about returning to the place she grew up in. And it's not something she immediately shoots down. She noted her parents have offered to let her stay at home with them to save on the cost of renting in Chicago or an Illinois suburb. And she liked Valparaiso for what it offered. As a region rat, um, I don't have any qualms about, you know, the thought of returning back home. Chicago is the main market that I'd like to be at. I just think, you know, for a lot of people in this position, you want to be, you want to, you're trying so hard to finally like be on your own feet and not, you know, have your parents like help you through college it's like well are they going to help you through all of life now um but i do think you know in that area in general like things are growing and it has an appeal to come back well i think for starters the lower cost of living is an immediate benefit right off the bat when you're not paying you know like upwards to a thousand dollars a month for an apartment um and i think it's also nice well, the appeal of that to me would be you actually could decompress, you know, after a work day or something in that it doesn't, you don't feel compelled to keep pushing yourself to do more things. Like a city is enticing because there's always something going on. There's so much. But at the same time, like knowing myself, that could get overwhelming and you feel like there's a pressure to keep going and doing because it's available to you. With the suburbs, you know, you still have all of those things available, you know, like restaurants, nightlife, um, you know, daytime social activities. We're not like going like joining like a recreational league like those are all still there but i think in more digestible forms and quantities i of course asked lexi if she had to decide between illinois and indiana what would she select 
and she said being in Illinois would offer less commuting time than if she were in Indiana. But, like she also noted, being in Indiana does have that lower living cost. It's an interesting choice. But is our area able to hold an appeal? Are we a decision made in reluctance? I finally asked Lexi, what is it that would make it more attractive for her? Uh, I'm very biased because I love Bloomington so much where I kind of want to see it emulate some of the things that I found to be really meaningful here to my own personal development. You know, like having, you know, vibrant arts and culture events, you know, just scattered throughout town, you know, for free. And I think Valpo does have a lot of you know, really good free events. But again, I felt that like, you know, coming back, you know, as like a 23 year old, that most of them are geared towards, you know, smaller children's and families. If there were more opportunities for, you know, like adolescents and millennials to, I guess, participate, or if there was something that was maybe more techie, um, there would definitely be an appeal there. And if like I ever found, you know, that they were developing in such a way where maybe like it fit with what I was interested in, I would consider, you know, coming back to help contribute to it. Lexi's decision is still in the future and undetermined. So too are many of the ones facing other college students not far behind her. What does the future hold for our area? The region isn't the same as it was before. But what is it that it could become? Byline is a production of the Times of Northwest Indiana. You can find all of our episodes at nwi.com slash podcasts. Byline is also on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can just type in NWI Byline in the search bar and we should pop up. If you've got a media player and want to download our episodes or just listen on the go, Byline is available on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. We just kindly ask that you rate us and leave a review because... It actually really helps, and we really like to hear from you, whether that's constructive comments, feedback, or suggestions for topics you'd like to hear more about. You can just drop an email to kale.wilk at nwi.com. The next Byline episode will come out next month, because I will be going on vacation, and thus will resume adventures with this podcast after I return. Reporting for this week's episode came from Joseph Pete, Andrew Steele, and myself, Kale Wilk. We'd like to thank Chris and Megan Jones, Bob Kuhlman, Dolly and Joe Wagner, Mont Hanley, and Lexi Heineman for taking time to be interviewed for this episode. Last but not least, a big thanks goes to Summer Moore, the Times' digital and audience engagement editor, and Byline's creator. I'm K.O. Wilk, and from the Times of Northwest Indiana, thank you for listening. See you next time.